Okay. All right. I am live. Welcome, everybody. If you're out there, thanks for joining me. My name is Chef Alex Atouche, and this is Chef Life Live. I am here to give you a deeper understanding of what really goes on in the food service world. There's so much more than what they show on Food Network and Chef's Table, although I do love those shows. There's just so much more going on behind the scenes, and that is why I brought my friend Chef Alex Enright on the show today to talk about his experiences and show us a little cooking demo. So I will bring him on and we will get started. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. Thank you so much for being here with me tonight and my first guest on Chef Life Live. Happy to be here. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your yep. experiences? Yeah. So. Um... I'm Alex Enright, uh, born and raised in Westchester, New York. So I'm 26 years old, so 26 years in New York. A little give or take uh, travel here and there, but um, I'm I was recently a CDP or a cook or professionally a chef at 11 Madison Park in New York City. Um, but due to COVID, that is no more. Um, I am now a sous chef at a local Italian restaurant in Amerinick, New York. Um, it's called Nona Corolla. Um, we are a couple of chefs from Alamance Park and the Nomad Hotel. And we're just trying to put out Michelin style food in Westchester County. So, I've All right, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it going. Uh, uh, so I met Alex actually at Alenia. Um, that is right. Uh, yeah. A long time ago. But coming up on. Oh, oh, you're freezing up on me. A couple of years. So. It has. Uh, besides EMP, which is our Madison Park in New York and Alenia here in Chicago, where else have you worked? Um, I spent three years at the Nomad Hotel in New York City, as well as I spent three months in Copenhagen in Denmark at the restaurant Noma. So, Very cool. Yeah. So how long have you actually been a chef or just been in the industry? Uh, I actually started working in a restaurant when I was 15 in high school. Um, I was just working the Garmage line at a hotel, a local hotel in my area. Um, the Doral Hour, which they're no longer open. But I was just going after school, working there till 10.30 p.m. and just learning. Very cool. Yeah. Did you learn mostly, did your culinary training come from mostly learning on the job or did you actually attend culinary school? I I did attend culinary school. Um, I spent what your two about two years at CIA Culinary Institute of America in High Park, New York, which is a little bit north of Poughkeepsie, <laughs> same area. Yeah. Um, but I did I did uh, most of my uh, schooling there. I did a vocational school in high school as well. So I as I went to regular high school. 
I also took a bus to another high school and learned culinary arts as well there. So I got like two high school degrees, one in culinary arts and one regular like regents diploma. Okay. Very cool. Um, everyone has to ask us this, or I guess everyone in general, but like, what are some of your favorite foods? Oh, well, so I get this asked a lot, actually. Um, I, I like my all American, like burger. I could go for a burger any day of the week. Um, a lot right. of people like, chefs eat like great every day. No, not always. Um, when I get home from work, like when I was at 11 Mass Park and I was getting home at 3 a.m., um, I'd throw some french fries in, in the uh, air fryer, throw some cheese, <laughs> and have cold cheese fries at the end of the night before I go to bed. Very unhealthy. Yeah. but Hey, that's that's what we crave, you know? Yeah. Um, some nights have cereal, uh, maybe bacon, egg, and cheese. Uh if I'm on my way home, I'll go to 7-Eleven and grab uh, grab a, one of the pizzas there. They do. 7-Eleven has one of the best frozen pizzas. You get the pizza, whole pepperoni pizza. You have them in their oven. Get a little well done. Throw a little hot sauce oh, on it. You know. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Is that some, is that something you've had lately? Like, what's some of like the better foods you've had lately within the last week or so? Um, as far as like just eating in general, like restaurant style, or yeah, just any, any anything rememberable that you've had recently. So uh, I was in Elmsford, New York, uh, past week. Uh, me and my friend, who also worked at Eleven Madison Park and also lives in my town, just a couple of streets away from me, we went to go get Indian food. Um, restaurant we went to is in Elmsford, New York, called Rasa. Uh, they're known at, in the Bib Gourmand, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Like, I don't really venture out um, in my area in Rochester County looking for really nice restaurants. Um, mm -hmm. head down to the city, but it was really good Indian food. Um, I had the lamb biryani, really nicely executed. Her, uh, the dough or pastry that's on top that you you have to break into was beautiful and perfect. Nice and had a nice spice to it. So that was good. And then, um, actually, the only other nice meal I've actually had besides me cooking at home or whatever, um, I went to uh, Blue Hillstone Barns. Okay, um, yeah. So, and that was their picnic that they did. Their picnic. Okay. So. Very cool. Now, you grew up on the East Coast and everything. You're in New York now, and you spent some time living in Chicago. So, in your opinion, overall, food, New York or Chicago, which is better? Chicago. That's what's up. That was one of my favorite cities I've actually ever been in. Would you say the food's better? Uh. Pizza wise is different. I, I, that was going to be my next question. What about pizza? But but um, food overall, food in Chicago is so much better than New York. Um, New York is oversaturated 
New York City in general is an oversaturated island of just restaurants and bodegas and delis and everything. Um, and you go to one deli or one one restaurant, it's good. But you go to another restaurant, it's great. And then there's it's all up and down. Where Chicago, I've always had a good meal. I never had a bad meal in Chicago. I might have had a bad service where my server was not that great, but the food was always on point, delicious. Never had a problem with any restaurant I went to. All right. Yeah. I mean, I can't really weigh in. I love Chicago and I love living here. I've never been to New York, so I can't really weigh in, but I'm sure I'll make it there eventually and I'll get to have my own opinions on it. Uh, and you were, what's that? I was going to say, um, let me, I know Chicago doesn't have as many Michelin star restaurants as New York, especially three Michelin. Right. Only right. millennia now, but the three Michelin stars and Michelin star restaurants do put out amazing food though in New York. Besides. I, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think there's a question about that. So you have worked at a lot of pretty well-named establishments. Is there a more painful dish that you've ever been in charge of or the most painful dish that you've ever been in charge of? Not as far as painful and really don't like. Um, I, don't, I don't actually know. I don't have one. Um, every station I've worked did have its challenges. Um, I want to say when I was in Noma, uh, we had a... Um, we, our first course was an apple, so a little like Danish apple or whatever, and we melon balled the inside out. We put a black apple puree inside. We put the melt. We put melon balled apples inside that, and then we uh, put oxalis on top, um, and more like black apple puree, and then we put the lid on it, and it's delicious. And we oh we also poured an apple like an apple tea inside and everything. Yeah, um, that sounds really good. That the that was the only time consuming and painful dish because everything had to be perfect. No right. too much on star restaurant. Um they they pride themselves on their fresh produce, fresh ingredients and um innovation, so makes sense. Uh Matthew wanted to ask what's your favorite fast food well matt favorite fast food is taco bell it's a good answer yeah that's a good answer that's a good one a lot of a lot of a lot of my friends in chicago would know that after a good night out go right to taco bell that makes sense yeah i've, I've been there i think i think we've all been there yeah good taco bell run so you you've obviously been a chef for a, a decent amount of time now. Where where do you find your inspirations for your own food? Like are there different chefs, restaurants, family? Um. So my inspiration actually comes from just all the places I've worked. So the like when I worked at Alenia, it was all science, and that's why I went to Alenia is to learn the science, learn the use how to use hydros and like the chemicals pretty much of cooking um which was 
pretty cool. So now I'm realizing like I could do all this cool scientific stuff with food. Um, when I worked at Noma, all about fresh produce and like fermentation. So now I can put that towards like creating stuff, the possibilities. Um, I love Madison Park. Uh, just different flavor combinations of raw foods, cooked foods, sous vide, so use of truffles and caviar, a lot of truffles and caviar. <laughs> yeah, as most Michelin places do. Yeah. So, all right, very cool. All of everybody. So this is off topic. I just have to ask you, can you see the comment or the questions I'm putting at the bottom of the screen right now? I can, actually. Okay. So uh, my good friend, Jonathan Dixon, I knew him from when I was in the Navy. And he's asking, when did you know your cooking was your calling? Very good question. Um, I remember uh, when I was a, in seventh grade in junior high, um, I actually was planning out my whole life, actually. Um, I'm one of those people who have to like plan five years ahead and, and then I'll do it. Um, I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to go to culinary school, go to the CIA up in Poughkeepsie. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to work in Italy. I'm going to go here. I'm going to work at the best restaurants, own my own restaurant and be able and be able to like walk down the street and somebody's going to be like, Oh, Hey, you're a chef Alex. You put out good food. You're a very passionate type of person. So, um, I've been always planning that, but pretty much my whole family kind of worked in food. My uncle is a corporate executive chef. Uh, my dad worked in butcher shops, uh, worked at a couple of restaurants with his brother. So kind of, right. kind of worked in the family. Yeah, that makes sense. Very cool. All right. Now, before we get to our actual cooking demo, last question I have is, what is your most essential kitchen tool? And you cannot say your knife because that is a given. I'm actually going to say my tweezers. Tweezers, how Michelin of you? Well, tweezers are super versatile. Um, I in Michelin star restaurants, these are your your uh, basically more important than your knife. You use it to plate things. You use it to eat family meal when there's no forks around or spoons. Um, use it to stir things, flip things. Use it as a spatula. Um, if you don't have a cake tester to test your proteins, use the tweezers. So, cake test. Um, Very true. Tweezers, most versatile tool that I've ever used. It's like that makes sense. SpongeBob episode, the spatula that with all the porn starboard adjustments and everything. You're right. That makes sense. Nice name drop too with SpongeBob. Uh, very good. And for those of you who don't know, if what he's referring to as cake tester. Uh, it's something, it's like a toothpick with a cake when you stick it in to see if it's done. But a cake tester is also used for a lot of proteins and everything to make sure it's the proper temperature and it's really hot on the inside. So since we got some questions out of the way, don't worry, Jake Jones, I'll come back to yours. Uh, let's get your cooking demo underway so we can see what a real chef cooks at home sometimes or some of his favorite foods to prepare. All right, well, um, I'm on this whole health craze, not really health craze, but I've always been into fitness and healthy food and everything. Um, trying to eat lean meat, eat a lot of salmon, a lot of chicken. So 
what I'm going to do is just do a yuzu cured salmon, yuzu and lemongrass cured salmon. Um, throw some uh, cooked basmati rice. I got some pickled ginger, pickled carrots, uh, and a nice sautéed bok choy. So let's get right into that. All right. Sounds little, pretty good. Yeah, a little soy dipping sauce too and all that. So I don't know what the best way to do this is. Uh, we like to see the ingredients and cooking and everything. Or Say it for me one more time. Uh, how would you like to see um, all the ingredients or like me chopping things or do you just want me to talk to you about it? Uh, yeah, I think we'd like to see what you're doing. Okay. If you want to talk about the ingredients and kind of talk us through the process here. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, what I'm going to do is I got some petite uh, Shanghai bok choy. I pick everything you everything that I have, you can pick it up right at the grocery store. Um, no specialty things. You don't have to pre-order stuff to come from Japan or set up like purveyors or suppliers like we all do in professional kitchens, but it's right. just quick stuff you can find at your local grocery store. So, over here I got my salmon. I just went to the local uh, grocery store, got a nice salmon filet that I'm going to use, and I'm just going to spin. It has the skin on it, so what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to take off the skin. How's that look? That looks good. I can see that very well. All right. So, just gonna, as you can see, there's the skin and then the flesh. So, what you want to do is just lightly get your knife and slice. I go from corner to corner, pretty much. And then keep it flat. You want to keep your knife flat, put pressure down, and slowly thaw. As you can see. What kind of knife are you using there, Chef oh, Alex? My really nice chef my really nice knives and the knives that I actually use every day are actually at work today. Um so I have a little fillet knife from Wistoff okay. that I that I have. I have about forty different chef knives and just knives in general. So I'm just using one of my twist off knives, kitchen knives you can find it at, Bed Bath and Beyond or whatever. So cleaned off the skin. Now what I'm gonna do is I like I'm gonna throw a little like um high end cooking right here. So I want a nice perfect rectangle. I wanna save the small little like almost like the belly part for something else tomorrow. So All right. Keep my portion nothing, a nothing goes to waste, right? Uh, I'm going to use that tomorrow for for lunch. So we got this nice, perfect rectangle. And what we're going to, and what I did was I got salt and sugar. So I did 60%. So my ratio is 60 40. So 60% salt to 40% sugar. I got lemongrass from my local grocery store just get it sometimes they come pre-packaged sometimes they don't you just get it and cut it right up 
It is a hard stalk, almost like yes, it is bamboo. So if you could hear the crunching down, but once you get it and you cut it, try to bruise it a little bit, bring out all the essential oils in it, all the flavor in it, and then I added some yuzu juice to it as well. So this I got it like an H Mart or some uh, specialty Asian market, and you just get that and dump it in. You want it, the salt to be moist and wet, so everything gets absorbed. Nice wet salt, almost like wet sand, and then we're gonna take our salmon, put it in there, cover it with the salt, and we're going to cure it for half an hour. Half an hour. Now, Chef Alex, you mentioned uh, yuzu. Can you explain to what our, our to our viewers what yuzu is? Yeah, so yuzu is a citrus uh, from the uh, from the Asia continent, um, mostly found in China, Japan, and Korea. Um, it has a flavor profile of lemon, lime, and grapefruit pretty much combined. But it looks, if, if you ever see it, it looks like a lime that's been just like beat up. Kind oh. of like I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've actually ever seen a yuzu yeah. just like as the whole fruit. I've only ever seen it. It's just the it juice, is. but. It is a very it is an expensive product when you buy it whole. Um, buying the juice is a lot cheaper than actually buying the fruit. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah. So, water. All right. So we got our salmon curing. What next we're gonna do is we're gonna get our rice going. So rice, we're gonna it takes about four, uh, fifteen minutes to cook, and then. You can just let it sit. We don't have to touch it. Keep the lid on it. It'll stay hot for another like 20 minutes. As long as you don't touch it. That's the one that thing. Chefs need to be patient. That's the one thing around. Be patient. That so, is very true. I have a small pot over here. Uh, right then I'm going to put say one and three quarters cup of water. I'm gonna bring that up to a boil. And then we're gonna use one cup of regular rice, basmati rice. If you see me going out of the frame a little bit, that's just, I gotta wash my hands. That's fair. Yeah, we gotta stay uh, clean, sanitary. So, Very important, especially now. Personal hygiene than ever. is the one thing in restaurants. Right. So once the water comes up to a boil, you're going to add some salt, about a teaspoon of salt, get that flavor. Um, everything that I cook is always seasoned, whether it be the vegetable, the sauce, everything has salt because we want to build the levels of flavor. You don't season at the end, because then all you need to do is get the taste of salt. We want to help the veg come, uh, flavors of the vegetables come out. 
by seasoning everything progressively. Knowing how to properly season your food is uh, a skill that does take some time for chefs, but that's one of the most crucial things that every chef needs to learn is how to properly season food. Yes. All right, so water's up to a boil. You're gonna dump in the rice. And I like to give my rice a quick stir before I put a lid on it, just because you put sand, let's say you get a cup of sand, you put it in a bucket of water. That sand is going to stay in its same form and water won't be able to get through all the nooks and crannies of it. So always give your stuff a stir. Anytime you throw something in water or oil, give it a stir. Let, let it all get encased in it. And that will ensure even cooking and um, delicious product at the end. <laughs> All right. So, so with with basmati rice, is that a rice that a lot of rices need to be washed beforehand to get rid of some of the excess starches? Do you do that with basmati rice? I don't really wash my rice. Um, oh. to be honest, uh, when I'm at home cooking, I don't wash my rice. Uh, even in restaurants, you buy you restaurant has like jasmine rice. Unless you're going to a, a like, I'm, I'm going to say, like, almost like an ethnic, not like ethnical food, but like um, more ethnical food, more food based around certain and other cultures, they might do it because it's more their, like, not tradition, but it's kind of what they do at home. Here in right. like, the U.S., nobody really washes things. Um, to be honest, uh, restaurants do wash all their products, but rice, I've noticed that a lot of restaurants don't wash their rice. You can just get basmati rice, jasmine rice, straight from the bag, put it in a pot of water, cook it, and it'll be fine. I always wash my rice, just saying. At home, that's what I do. I, I, I've, I've never... For me, it's okay if I don't wash my rice. Uh, yeah. Washing rice just removes excess starches from it. It can sometimes help with the stickiness of when it's done, but it isn't always completely necessary, but that can also vary depending on who you ask. So, If you want rice that's more not uh, – doesn't like stick together and want any, each grain can be separated, yeah, wash your rice. Um, you're, when you wash your rice, the water will come out white, and then once it hits clear, you're good to go. Right. And then also added flavor, toast your rice in in the pan as well. Either. That's very true. That that also works for a lot of dry herbs and seasonings. If you yes. toast them in a pan first before you add them to your food, adds a little extra layer of flavor. So I'm going to ask you a few questions from the comments here. So we have 13 people watching, Chef Alex. All right, I'm pretty excited about that, to be honest. Uh, so we have a question. What do you consider to be your career breakthrough, if you've had one, and how did you get it? Um, so career breakthrough? Well, I've always been, I've always been fortunate of everywhere that I've worked. Um, 
very humble about it because not many people could say, hey, I've worked at the top restaurants in the world. Like you can go on the world's 50 best list. I've worked at most of, like some of those restaurants and it's very humbling to be able to say that where, you know, like you can go anywhere in the world and to be able to learn and cook with people and just be able to have that opportunity. Uh, but recently, um, right now, working as a sous chef at this restaurant in Marinette, um is really good because my friends, they are running the kitchen. They gave me a call and they said, hey, we would like you to come and work with us. And I thought that would be a great idea. Um, small restaurants like that really value more or less opinions of their workers and their sous chefs and everything. Whereas kind of like a Michelin star restaurant, the chef mm -hmm. or the decisions, the chef or the sous chefs only create plates and dishes that go on the menu. Um, and you got to really go through the full chain of command and really kind of not really appreciated as much in higher end restaurants and in um, larger scale restaurants. Um, but here, it's just a small team of us trying to put out Michelin-style food, but try to do it our way, because we've all worked in high-end restaurants, and we know the good, the bad, the ugly, so we want to try to right. do it our way, and really put the the team effort into it, kind of. I, I, I think that's like the, trying to say it. Is it the right thing to say almost? Yeah, for sure. You see the the comment from my good friend Cody Monroe there? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I it's it's I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I I I see no need. If I'm cooking at home, if I'm not depending on like the the what I'm doing with the rice, it's if I'm if I'm gonna serve it to somebody, if I want like each grain to be able to like fall apart or each grain to be sticking together, it depends. Um, it it does depend. It yeah. definitely does. When I'm at home, yeah, for sure. When I'm at home, I don't I don't cook like a three Michelin star style chef. I cook like I want to eat, get some food in me, have it right. Tasty. Exactly. Usually we get home very late and we have to be back to work very early the next day. So we got to come home, eat, get to sleep. Yeah. So time is of the essence. Sometimes you just don't have time to wash that rice, you know? Yeah. And your days off are not spent having fun. Your days off are spent sleeping, maybe doing laundry, um, running errands. Like there's pretty much no relaxation. Yeah. Catching up. Yeah. Is really what happens on days off yeah. as best we can. So while we're still going through this cooking demo, I can keep going with the questions yeah. here. But what or why why did you want to become a chef or get into cooking? Was um, there an expectation within your family because it said it was kind of like a family thing, or it was something you kind of created on your own? It was kind of thrusted upon me. Okay. Like, it was kind of like a oh hey. He wants to be a chef. <laughs> Just push him <laughs> in front of everything. Um, 
yeah, it was, it was, it was always my first thing on my mind, um, because growing up with food all around the house, me being Italian, Sunday dinners, you know, um, yeah. so that was, it was, it was kind of like thrusted upon me, like, hey, you're going to be a chef one day, um, but I grew into it, I love it, um, best thing is watching people eat my food and have like an awesome smile on their face, being like, hey, wow, this is a beautiful dish, I really don't want to eat it, but when I do eat it, it's delicious and it makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. I, I always feel good seeing smiles on people's faces, but of course good about eating my food it's great yeah i mean every craftsman likes to have their craft appreciated you yeah. know so yeah. definitely that makes complete sense so a lot of people know if they if you know anyone who does work in the food service regardless of the establishment it's it's really hard it's a hard industry to be in but if you've ever been involved in Michelin, you know that the expectations are just so much higher and it's just even more stressful when you go to work in one of those places. So Chef Alex, since you have worked in quite a few, how do you feel about the Michelin culture and its effects on line cooks and even the chefs who run these restaurants? So, um, Working in a Michelin star restaurant is hard. There's a lot expected from you. Um, it's not a restaurant where you can just go in, work, and then go home. And that's it. It's something that you have on your, your job is on your mind pretty much 24-7. When you sleep, you're dreaming of food, um, dishes, things that you want to do in the future. When you go into work, you pretty much hit the ground running, get your station set up. Um, it's it's very it's it takes a mental toll, mental toll and a physical toll on your body. Um, and if you really want to do something Michelin, you have to be willing to put in the hundred and ten percent, really go above and beyond, because there's going to be a lot expected from you, and you're going to want to expect a lot. But remember, you can't just take. You have to give in order to take. So That's true. How do you feel when it comes to some of the, like, it's just stressful in the work and you have to put in so much to it. But there's a lot of horror stories about chefs who throw things, constantly degrade their, their line cooks and everything. And kind of like a, a PTSD aspect to working in some of these restaurants. Like, do you think that's a, a situation that needs to be fixed or it's um, one of those things that produces some of these great chefs that we've seen? So times are changing now. Um, a lot of chefs are becoming more, uh, more friendlier in a kitchen almost. Uh, not as much violence. And abuse as the um, I yeah. can definitely say I've been a victim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've dealt with the violence, the abuse, and all that. Um, I've told a lot of friends some stories that I've had 
and they can never they can never believe it. But it's just something. It's pretty much you can't in a restaurant you can't get offended. It's right. You're trying to everybody's a lot of passions, a lot of egos are all butting heads, and you can't get offended. If you get offended, then you're not gonna you're never gonna stay in a restaurant long enough to actually grow. Because once yeah. you get offended, then you're gonna second guess working there and then you're gonna leave. Um I've always like let's say all right, so uh Alenia. I had a my first six months at Alenia were probably the hardest I've in the kitchen I've ever had. They, it was the toughest restaurant I worked in um, as far as because it's mentally and physically straining. So, because it's a restaurant where you don't go there to learn how to cook. You go there. Not really. You learn how to be a chef. So, they're not going to spend five minutes a day showing you how to hold a knife, showing you how to saute something. It's they're going to go there and teach you how to run a station, how to be a leader, how to pretty much run your station as your own restaurant. You're in, charge makes of, sense. you're in charge of ordering your own stuff. How many times did you have to go to the sous chef and tell the sous chef, Alex, oh, I need apples to come in for my apple strings? Why I got to bring up apple strings, man? Yeah. The Alenia balloon. <laughs> one of the best uh, Alenia balloons. He, oh, he thank prepped, you. He prepped it out, and I blew them up. <laughs> That's how it went down. It was a long road to get there, those yeah. those strings. They haunt my dreams still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess working off of this uh, this negativity towards restaurants and everything, what what would you say is probably the worst part about being a chef? Worst part, um, worst part is being a chef. You don't, you don't appreciate yourself as much. You appreciate everything around you, but you don't appreciate yourself as far as, wow, you don't, like after a day of service, you don't say, oh, you know, I had a great service. Today was a great day. Great service. Awesome day. I did an awesome job. No, you you nitpick at everything you did, and you're like, all right, tomorrow I got to do this better. Tomorrow I got to do that better. It was good, but it could always be better. So you never give yeah. yourself gratitude. That's the worst thing about being a chef, uh, especially because you're always thinking, all right, how can I make the next day better? How do I do this better? Maybe I'll play this differently. Never tell yourself, good job. So That is very, very true. Our friend Addison says, truest words ever. That is, that is it's accurate. Yep. And that's a really, that's a really good answer. I really, you know, people could say the hours, you know, not be able to get, you know, working holidays, weekends, nights, all that stuff. But that is really the worst part is you get this mentality that I didn't do enough the night before and I have to do even better the next day. And so it's definitely tough. Um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's say, then what do you think is the best part about being a chef? Best part? Best part. 
pretty much the gratitude. (laughs) Yeah, you could say, oh, being able to like play with all these nice ingredients. Like there were times where I'd go home with truffles, caviar, cook awesome breakfast in the morning for myself before I go to bed. Um, Wagyu beef, like how many uh, Wagyu trim from Alenia. We get it, we freeze it, but sometimes I'll go in early to work. We'll make a quick little breakfast for all the, I'll make a quick little breakfast. Apparently I make really awesome eggs. I've made, I've made a lot of omelets in my day, a lot of scrambled eggs, but um, I've go in and make some, uh, some eggs for all of us. Um, so, so one of the other cooks would make smoothies at Ayer. He would make smoothies for us. So mm-hmm. more or less the gratitude coming from like your chefs, the guests. Yeah. Hey, this is delicious. Wow. This is really cool. How do you do that? Just being able to tell them and teach them and also just like appreciate the smile on their face is awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot. Of, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You're definitely right. Would you say that you have a, a most rewarding job that you've had, whether a specific restaurant or a position that you've held as being the most rewarding? Most rewarding. Um, hmm. Not uh, pretty much every every job I've had is rewarding like each restaurant had its own culture had its own thing so there was never one place because you gotta you gotta pick and choose from you're you're a chef so you're the your whole your career like what you put in a plate on a plate if you create a dish that dish is pretty much the journey of a chef so a dish is the journey that a chef took um in his whole life so his whole life is pretty much in on 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 the in the plate on the plate so yeah and i'm every every restaurant i work in has been pretty good i've took everything that i could from that that's i mean that's what you have to do right you try to absorb as much as you can every place you go take something even if it's terrible you, you know you always leave with something yeah Addison said being your station partner, that's the best part, right? Yeah. <laughs> Airplane noise down the line. <laughs> so that still goes on. If, if you can't if you can't have fun while you work, then maybe find a find a new line of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's very true. That's so, what you're doing. Yeah. Well, a lot of people know that. I mean, a lot of a lot of shows and everything. If you know anybody, like I've said, like you know that the food service is a very difficult industry to work in, but people do it. There's so many people that are doing it every day, and they, you know, they do it for years and years and years. So, like, why do you keep doing it? Like, we know this is tough. It's long hours. We don't get to see anybody outside of the restaurant. Why? Why do you keep doing it? Um. Well, to be honest, I thought about actually quitting, quitting cooking. And quitting um that was a hard it was a that was a hard challenge for me i thought about quitting cooking 
uh, right after I left Alenia, actually. Um, hmm. I thought maybe quit, maybe do something else. I, because Alenia took so much out of me. It was a great experience and I had a lot of fun. Um, and I loved every moment of it. But the amount of strain it put on my body, my health, my health and everything, um, pretty much, it was, it was hitting hard. So I was like, all right, well, I worked in a ramen shop with my roommate, um, worked at Ramen San uh, down by Navy Pier. So I worked there for a month before I came back to New York and just switching atmospheres from three Michelin star restaurant to a ramen shop really got it back to me. And yeah, it was like, wow, fresh air kind of. So definitely take a break from the hard work and everything, go on like a vacation or whatever. And yeah, I got back into cooking and now I realize like I do this because I love what I do. I love being creative. Um, also, I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> really bad at math. Really bad at math. I'm bad at <laughs> um, yeah, I'm pretty bad at a lot of stuff. Well, I, I know you're a good cook, so yeah. I think you made the right. I, I know you, you. I think you made the right call. <laughs> so, let's see if I can find another question in our chat here. Another question from Jake Jones: Is there a basic or common skill or task as a chef that you still struggle with or dread? It's a good question. Oh, that is. Um... Hmm. Cooking protein still, like, right, pretty much like working with proteins. Um, it's very, very difficult working with protein. There are chefs that use thermometers and probe their proteins, check the temperature to see if it's done. Um, I've come to a custom just using basic touch and probing with a cake tester to check the temperature on my lower lip. And you check the temperature, and that's when you know how hot, how cold it is. And that's usually how I do it. But sometimes, like, there are proteins that just don't want to work with you. Maybe, like, at the restaurant this past week, we had swordfish on the menu. We had halibut. And the fish is retaining the temperature, the cold temperature that it had. And... I has a beautiful sear on it. I turn it around. I flip it. I baste it with butter and really do a nice glaze on it. But when I check the temp, it's still ice cold. So protein same. Do I should I put it back in the oven for like a minute, or is it done? Will it carry over cooking? That's what I still struggle with a little bit, trying to get that perfect cook on a protein. Granted, I can cook proteins. I'm good at cooking proteins, but something that's always can be improved, um, as well as breaking down proteins. Not many, a lot of cooks don't know how to break down fish, proteins, or anything because the sous chefs always do it, the head chefs always do it, the butcher always does it. So, like, I was, I'm putting a 
Fluke. I know Fluke is a little bit out of season now, but um, I'm going to put a Fluke on for the menu next this week coming up. And I haven't filleted a Fluke in I don't know how long. So it's a little rusty at it. So oh, breaking down proteins and sometimes cooking proteins. Yeah, that makes sense. And depending on like the equipment that you have will definitely affect how you, the protein cooks. Yeah. So like that's definitely a fear for, I'd say a lot of cooks and chefs when you're, you know, depending on where you're at. So um, Addison's really worried about your rice, chef. How's that looking? Well, my rice is done. Or have it over here. Fully cooked. Fully cooked. That's what's happening. Oh. Here we go. Grains all fall apart. Nice. Um, Must have washed it. I did not wash it. <laughs> so, let me see. So, I don't know. Can you see that? Do you have a glare? Or? I can see it okay. I'm not sure how everyone else is viewing it, but there might, there's, a, there's a glare that way. Yeah. All right. well, That's all right. It's rice. We see it. All the rice. There, there you go. That's falling apart. That's yeah. there we go. All right. So, I guess back to cooking then. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep yeah. going with the demo here. Awesome. So, hot water, boiling water. I'm gonna turn the small light on. Cooking in my house, so the lighting's not good. Um, bad with computer, so I don't. If my lighting's bad. I don't have all the fancy equipment like some people. Remember, I'm, I think I do. I'm not a model. <laughs> we all can't be, Beaker. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for everybody who doesn't know, my nickname at Alenio was Beaker. Pretty much Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> um, my two chefs were that to me. Um, and then turned into like Lieutenant Beaker, Lieutenant Beaks. So, yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of names being thrown around. If you have a nickname at a restaurant, that's good. It, it is. Right. That means you're doing something right. <laughs> so, uh, bok choy. Uh, it's a green vegetable. Green. So, when you're cooking green vegetables, salt your water. Bring your water up to a boil, salt it. If you salt your water before it boils, your water is going to evaporate and it's going to get saltier and it's just not going to be good. Salt your water after it boils. Um, and, and that's for pretty much every green, every vegetable, except for white vegetables. If you're cooking white vegetables, add a little bit of uh, acidic acid to it, a little lemon juice to your water. That'll help keep it bright white, nice white color. So not many people know that, actually. It's a good tip. When you're yeah. adding salt to boiling water, how much do you want to use? Um, I usually add to the point where you can taste the salt. Okay. Um, so people ask me, oh, how do you want the salt, salt to taste? You want it to taste really salty? I give the reference. Make it taste like the sea, not the ocean. So okay. If it tastes like the sea, you're good. It tastes like the ocean. Uh, maybe maybe add more water to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little overboard. Uh, yeah. And then 
after you let it, you're going to cook the bok choy for about a minute in boiling salted water. After you take it out, you're going to put it straight into a bowl of ice water. That will shock the vegetable. That will stop the cooking process so you don't have carryover cooking. So the, so once it hits the water, it will stop cooking. It won't get darker in color. It won't get mushy and overcooked. So it's called shocking, which is really shocking to know. And then... Now, to keep on time and everything, I've already blanched it. And this is pretty much how it looks. It's still vibrant green. The leaves are leaves will cook faster because they're thin, their leaves, than the stem. But just to show you what a perfectly cooked bok choy is, use my tweezers as my kick tester. Goes right through. Has a little bit of texture left in it. It's not chewy, it's not hard, perfectly cooked. So we're going to save that right there for later. Alright. And then we're going to do some quick pickled veg. So one of the best pickling liquids I've ever used. Um, white balsamic pickling liquid. From courtesy of Lemon Master Park and Make It Nice. Um, it's probably one of the best pickling liquids. Pickle quick veg and everything. Um, cold pickle, hot pickle, compressed pickle. You can make pickle pickle. Pickle pickles. Pickle pickle. Can you, are you allowed to share with us what goes into it without giving too much away so our viewers can know like what goes into a pickling liquid basically if you're using white yeah. balsamic vinegar? Yeah. Actually, you actually find it in their cookbook. It's in the Nomad, I love our cookbooks and everything, pickling liquid. Um, it's pretty much white balsamic pickling, uh, white balsamic vinegar. Add that with a um, salt, sugar, water. All right, so bring it up to yeah. quick boil, dissolve all the salt and sugar in it, and then you cool it down. And that's pickling liquid, pretty much. Um, it's gonna be, say, your. Uh, Ratio for pickling for uh, salt and sugar is a two to one ratio. Two sugar, one salt. All right. Thank you, Chef. Yeah. So, and then what I did was I got some ginger and I got a carrot. And we're just going to cut it up real quick. So, for the ginger pickle, um, ginger is very fibrous. I cut it this way, you can see a lot, of, when you cut ginger, you can see all the fibers, very stringy vegetable. Now, you always want to cut ginger. I'm actually also going to use the, uh, all the trim from the ginger to make stock. One, on my day off on Wednesday, I'm thinking about making ramen, but ginger, I always slice with the grain, 
get it each fiber lengthwise. Like so. Make little matchsticks or batons, julienne, however you want to call it. And I'm going to do the same thing with the cat. You could use a mandolin. Um, you don't have to. You can do it by hand. Doesn't matter. Also, I'm cooking at home. For those of you who don't know, oh, sorry, keep going. Well, uh, well I'm cooking at home, so I'm not uh, too into like how I'm like if I'm working clean or whatever. Yes, work clean, but I'm also it's my day off. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, right. I have nobody to really. Look We're not being judged for our yeah. our knife our knife cuts at home. <laughs> so nice planks off the carrot, and then same thing with the ginger. Nice julienne cut. Nice batons. Just like that. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna bring that pickling liquid up to a boil. And then you can just pour it right over your vegetable. And then let them sit and get to room temp. By letting them sit to get to room temp, you keep them cooking and they will get soft and they won't uh, be raw still. So, with my crusty tweezers, nice cut uh, right here. It's not stiff anymore, it's wiggling. Cook, pickle, tastes great. Ginger as well. It's amazing. Fresh. You get the sweetness from the pickling liquid. Also, the very bite, hot, spicy note from the uh, from the ginger. And then, if you're picking cool. vegetables, keep the color separated. If I added the carrots to the ginger, the ginger is going to turn orange probably. Colors run like clothes. That's true. Uh, Curtis says, so this is a quick pickle? Question mark. Yes, Curdy. It is a quick pickle. All right, so what else is going on this dish here? You got rice, we got the cured salmon, we got some pickled vegetables, bok choy. All right, and then we got a nice little sauce going. Sauce. Yeah, I'm from New York. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, little specialty item. Um, my Italian grocery store that I go to a lot in my town serves really nice Asian products. So, I got... Black garlic shoyu, so a dark shoyu infused with black garlic. So black garlic is garlic. So. What is black garlic? Black garlic is fermented garlic. So get the garlic. Basically, they get garlic. They put it in this giant, like not dehydrator, like pretty much like almost like a dehydrator, but it's not. It's basically kept at a certain degree, like uh, warming, you can make it at home. Put Get a rice cooker, 
one that you don't really care about, cheap one. Put garlic in there. Keep it on the warm setting, the holding setting, for like a week or two. You go get black garlic fermented and everything. So Black garlic is delicious. Yes. Um, so for a nice little sauce, a little dipping sauce for your salmon that I made right here, we got some black garlic shoyu. I got some really nice rice vinegar. Uh, I got some fish sauce. I highly recommend using Red Boat because that's a good brand. Red Boat is good. And a little sesame oil. And I chopped up nice little scallions. Throw it in there. Get a little, little extra um, allium flavor. Very nice. With your sauce, do you just add, no, probably not equal parts, but do you have to cook it at all or you just kind of mix all these sauces together and you're good to go? I didn't add any sugars or anything to it. This is just put what you feel like you want into a little container. Whisk it. And there you go. I could add some chili flakes to this or some like some like maybe a little bit of like hot like heat to it and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went off of what I like. So I like the black garlic show you. So I did nice, uh, nice amount of that. Then uh, good amount of rice vinegar too. The vinegar, the flavor of the rice vinegar is delicious. It and is a little bit of uh, fish sauce just to get that flavor that almost like umami flavor the fermented anchovy oh, flavor a little funkiness if you will yeah. and then a little sesame oil on top just to get a little layer of coating right all right are we ready are we ready to see a, a finished dish here yes we can all right let's see it we're gonna, we're gonna play with a little bit of fire actually all right if you can if you can talk and cook at the same time, Curtis would also like to know why red boat fish sauce. Um, the amount so most people don't actually know a lot about soy uh, fish sauce, and um, there's a lot of regular fish sauces that you see at the grocery store. Those are very cheap. Not many. Uh, either they have a lot of nitrates in them, or not a lot of nitrates. Um, flavors are a little off and everything, and they smell really bad. Like, I've dumped, I've dumped fish sauce, on, fish sauce on my body before at Elenia. Because, I don't want to know, Vicky. Because the I was putting it away, and the container, the top, there was no lid on it, and I tripped, and it went all over my arm and everything, and I smelled like <laughs> it wasn't as bad as smelling like. So I dumped Red Boat on myself. It didn't smell as bad as some of these other brands that actually smell like dead rotten fish. Yeah, that's um, but that is very sure. Red Boat has a really nice amount of nitrates in it, and um, and in everything. And the guy who was representing representative of Red Boat actually was talking to me. 
he said that's why they just a 40 N. It's like the number of nitrates, I believe, in it. Um, oh, okay, I did not know that. I believe that's what he said. Or like, that's you never trust people sometimes. Some these days. <laughs> um, I believe that I think that's what it was. You want like 40 nitrates or more. Um, but all right, nitrates are pretty much right. to uh to preserve the food. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. All right. So I have my cured salmon right here. After the 30 minutes, take it out of salt, rinse it with water, and then pat it dry. And then I just keep it in the fridge. So get a blowtorch. And I like textures. I'm a texture type of person. I like eating something soft with something crunchy, all the different um, the different uh, flavor profiles as well. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lightly blowtorch the salmon just to get that nice, um, almost like smoky flavor to it. So let's see. And you're just going to see the change in color. You're going to see some blistering. There we go. And we're just going to blowtorch the top of it. We still want to keep that raw, almost raw, raw-like texture on top. I mean, in, on the inside and everything. Yeah. I'm actually losing... Oh man, I'm losing butane in my blowtorch. Oh come on, chef! You didn't have your station mused out properly. Well, I thought I filled it up. <laughs> what would they have said to you at Alinea if you would have said, "I thought I did this"? Well, there's more than one person in my house that uses my blowtorch. Okay, fair enough. Not for cooking. Yeah. But the best thing is. I have tweezers and I have a gas burner right here. So and we're just gonna we're just gonna over the top. Yeah it's when I test, I tested my blowtorch earlier today. Earlier, it was. It was working fine. It felt full and everything. I mean, that'll happen. Yeah. All right. What? While you're here, what's that? I was gonna say, when you're in a restaurant and you're cooking, it's there's always something that's gonna go wrong. You'll never have a something. You'll sometimes you'll never have a perfect service. That is very true. There's always something that goes wrong, and you just got to roll with it and figure it out. All right. I'm actually done now. Pretty much there. A little extra. All right. Got a little char on there. Some blistering. 
little bit of blistering. Alright. And you also got that flavor from it. Yeah. You get a nice flavor from the top part being cooked and blistered. Alright. We're gonna cut it on it upside down on an angle, just so that we don't ruin the uh, crust on it because the crust will break apart because the salmon is cooked so we want to try not to break it as much as possible so cutting it, cutting proteins upside down like so will help keep the um the top skin part from breaking About how thick are you cutting those slices? Um, I'm gonna cut them almost like uh, about quarter of an inch to a half an inch. Okay. Then we're gonna get a plate. I apologize to the viewers who can hear my dogs going crazy right now. There's probably a squirrel outside, so my apologies. It's okay. I remember I came over your house and we were playing Cards Against Humanity and I was, I'm actually kind of allergic to dogs and... I remember that. That was fun. It was fun. Alright. So we have our dish right here. I'm going to get some of the pickled veg in there as well. You know, I was hoping I could do this at the restaurant, but... I was having trouble. I would have trouble trying to connect my laptop to the uh, to YouTube and everything, and to the Wi-Fi. Yeah, restaurant kitchens don't get the best service. You're mostly underground. Yeah, usually. I'm actually just gonna cover the top of the salmon. Let's hide it a little bit. I mean, that's uh, that's a good trick of any seasoned chef. If something messed up, you learn how to cover it with the garnish. What? <laughs> I mean, no, we don't do that ever. That's not that's not a thing. I'm just kidding. Well, no. Um, so at Eleven American Park, um, we do a lot of cooking with veils. Um, mm -hmm. let it over it. Um, which at first I was a little like weirded out, but I'm like, oh, why do you want to cover up this beautiful steer on a fish or something? But it's just another style of plating. Right. 
And then I really like sauce. Now, I like having all my food soaked in sauce. Um, Same. So I just dump all the sauce on the plate pretty much. Um, not dump it on the plate, but put it at the very bottom. Get the rice soaking it up a little bit from the bottom. Get the bottom of the fish soaking. When, like when you dip sushi, you dip a little bit in there, and the rice kind of like falls apart. Uh, you have to like angle it and everything. I try not to dip anything in sauces. I like pour the sauce all over the place. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, but a nice, quick little thing. I could add a little xanthan gum to it, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I could go really crazy, but also it's something that not many people have access to at home. So that's true. I have seen xanthan gum is actually pretty common in a lot of grocery stores now. Um, xanthan gum is uh. It's used mainly as a thickening agent. Yes. In a lot of restaurants, it has a lot of different purposes, but usually thickening is is a good one. Yes. And yes. you can you can find it in a lot of grocery stores actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to um, not use any science of cooking at home, just because it's not what I. I'm not at a restaurant. I'm at home. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, it is it is kind of funny how if you do become, you know, a professional chef or professional cook, depending on where you work, and people, like, don't understand that when we come home, we eat the same thing as everybody else. And I'll be asked, like, why are you eating Kraft mac and cheese? And it's like, well, because it's delicious, first off, and I don't need to make a bechamel sauce and everything else that goes into homemade mac and cheese, I just need something really good. Yes. And, right. you know, so, we are. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to just show you real quick the dish. This is me quick plating, nothing too crazy. Um, I know Alex is a little strapped for time, I'm guessing. We're, we're good. I was I was good. shooting for an hour. I wasn't sure how. So we, we keep going. I th we still have people watching, so yeah. we'll, we'll keep it going. Well, I know I'm going to get a lot of, like, backlash, I know, from my former coworkers and colleagues. Uh, <laughs> that's the ugliest dish you ever made. But also, this is for somebody cooking at home. No, Like, nobody's going to – unless you're doing pop-up dinners or you want to, like, post on your Instagram or whatever, like, oh – do four course dinners on like at home and everything. I I, I really don't care. <laughs> we're 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 not plating, you know. We're not yeah garnishing our stuff. We're putting it in a plate. We're eating it. I guess yeah, just, you know. I, I like I I do see like some people do like oh Thanksgiving dinner. They have five wine glasses per person. Plates on plates on plates just shown all different types of silverware, really making it look like they live in a castle. <laughs> when I'm home on Thanksgiving, my whole family gathers around the table, throws some plastic plates 
some plastic plates down sometimes because we don't want to cook after because we're eating so much. And right. So much clean. And we just. Absolutely. We just eat. You, know you just eat, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's see this final dish here. So I got a small little, small little plate and everything. There it is. I mean, it looks pretty good. That's, uh, you know, the, uh, that's, that's not bad. So, bring over a piece of salmon. So, bring over a piece of salmon. So, I don't know if it's, it's super hard to see in here. I'm sorry. I don't have that's to. That's okay. Do, do not apologize. That's all good. All right. But we have a nice crust. crust yeah, let's move it over. There you go. Crust on the top, nice, soft center. Um, salmon is eaten raw a lot, um, as well as rare to medium rare. Nobody, I don't eat fully cooked salmon. I would say don't say nobody, because plenty of people eat fully cooked salmon. Yeah. Plenty of people eat fully cooked salmon. But um, for something cured, you could cure it longer if you want a more stiffer texture. I cook mine for about 30 minutes. I cure it for about 30 minutes. Um, give you that nice, depending on how thick your salmon is, I cured this one for 30 minutes because I still want to get that nice, almost like sushi, sashimi style, like mouthfeel to it, but mm -hmm. also know that it's cooked. So Absolutely. Like, it's still... Well, I mean, it looks pretty good. How's it taste? Tastes good. It tastes like YouTube. That's good. Um, soy sauce with pickled vegetables are delicious. And salmon with pickled vegetables. I mean, it's, yeah, that's pretty pretty classic combination. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to keep firing some questions at you. Um, this is a good question. Jake Jones is asking a lot of good questions tonight, and he's saying, what is something you wish front of house or servers like knew about our job or your job in the back of house that would help that would help us or back of house or something that you knew something that you wish customers knew um, A lot of customers and guests. Um, you see this in every single restaurant. You get some guests and that appreciate everything that you do. And then you also get some guests who are like, oh, well, it's his job to make my food. Well, yes and no. It's, yeah, it's a business. I'm cooking and everything. But it also is, it's like my food. Like it's my restaurant. Uh, you come to my restaurant to eat because you like my food. So you get a lot of people who are unappreciative of what you do. Um, it's it's like people complain, oh, well, you know, I don't really like the taste of this or the taste of that. Okay, well, it's your preference. It's your opinion. Uh, don't just go and, like, throw negative energy at a chef or whatever. 
maybe his food is a little under seasoned or it's lacking something or but don't don't like go to a restaurant eat and then just throw a really bad review at it um takes a lot of time a lot of preparation to create food and everything um one thing i would love guests and just know how much effort is actually put into their food and mm-hmm. time like um sauces the uh, a jus a, a good like chicken jus duck jus beef jus takes a couple of days to make like depending depending on if one person is just working on that whole thing how much you're making like at 11 Madison Park we would make we would get a large like I don't know one of those 100 gallon or whatever uh, uh, stock pots like stock kettles mm-hmm. and, or 50 gallon or whatever and we just make chicken stock and then so you make chicken stock which takes about 10 hours you strain that that's one day then the next day, you take the chicken stock and you reduce it down, maybe like halfway. And that's one another day. And then you add like your pinsage, which is just carrots, onions, celery mixed with tomato paste and cooked, and red wine. And you add that and you reduce that down with maybe more chicken bones and chicken feet and everything. That's a whole nother day because it takes mm-hmm. hours for something to reduce, and you never want to. You never want to boil your stocks and sauces and pretty much any anything like that. Um, so it takes days to make. It takes a lot of hours, a lot of labor, a lot of care. Somebody standing over a pot, skimming all the fat off your pot, just so mm-hmm. you have a really nice sauce. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The amount of hours that go into very like small things that people don't notice that's like it's a really big thing of how much time and effort it takes to create just the small simplest single element to a dish for sure so to to piggy off piggyback off of that question a lot of people get their information about restaurants from food network chef's table how do you feel about those and like how do you feel about the effects that it's had on our industry so is it bad that i say i've never watched um mind of a chef or chef's table no i don't think so i mean i've, I've actually i've watched i believe one episode and that was the one for i think grant atkins mm-hmm. um and I think that's that's it. And that was recently. That was when I was working at Alenia too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never watched Mind of like the I never watched Mind of a Chef, Chef's Table, um, or anything like that because I'm kind of like living it. I'm going. I work at these types of restaurants and everything. It's yeah. It's great to maybe. If you want uh, maybe a potential restaurant that you want to work at, maybe watch them if they have a, uh, an episode on it. Maybe watch it, see it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe get to know a little bit more about the chef. Um, but remember, 
what you see on TV is not what actually goes on. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. But absolutely, it's pretty much what you make of it. If you don't put in the time and effort, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a good time, and it's not gonna be good. That makes for you. sense. If you that. do put it in, then you'll have a great time. You'll love your chefs. You'll love working in the restaurant. You'll want to stay there and really put in the time and really make a difference with the restaurant. Then you're good. Right. That makes sense. So obviously the pandemic that we're all living in right now has taken a huge toll on the food service industry all around the country and around the world. Even the forest fires in California have, you know, burned down some very nice, well-established restaurants. And so to see so many that have closed and everything, what is your take on the pandemic with restaurants? Are you worried about it? And where do you see the food industry going within the next year? So a couple of things. Um, so with the forest fire in California, uh, Meadowood, Chris, uh, Christopher Costales restaurant, uh, Michelin stars, everything. Um, that's a tragedy. That's it's one, it's one thing to close to coronavirus. It's another thing to have your whole entire legacy go up in flames, not be able to salvage anything and all that. Mm -hmm. so actually, I actually had the pleasure of cooking side by side with, with, uh, Chef Chris Cristal, actually. Um, oh, wow. I met him. So he came to New York during when he had his book release um, around like Christmas time. I think Christmas time? Christmas time? Um, and he did a book release, a book, a book release at the Bank of America in near Bryant Park in New York City. And I was lucky enough to go help him out and cook with him. And a couple of sous chefs, um, one of his sous chefs who's in charge of like the farm and foraging and all that, which was cool. So I was lucky enough to cook with him side by side and he actually gifted me a signed cookbook, which was awesome. So that's a tragedy. Wow. Yeah, uh, that was. 11 Madison Park, they are working with Rethink and now they're doing to-go meals. Mm -hmm. a little, little bit behind the curve, like behind the the trend right now. Late, late blooming on that. I know it's hard because if one, you're in New York City. There's not, not much you can do as a three Michelin star restaurant in New York City. Mm -hmm. you, have no, you have no room. You do 16 course meals. Can't really do that outside without food getting cold and having bad experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked with Rethink. They were, they're doing Rethink. Um, I did not volunteer for that because it is actually more, more, uh, more costly for me to actually go in and out of the city than mm -hmm. to work. So, but uh, I feel that restaurants are gonna. It's gonna be hard. Re for especially like Chicago, having to open, close and open and close again, because um, they're seeing a rise in it. Um, yeah, what is it? Uh, over in, uh, I believe Austria, 
Um, I have a friend out there. His restaurant is closing now for a second wave. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, and it's kind of hard to see yeah. where our industry is going to go. Things are changing a lot. Uh, you know, there's restaurants that are doing to go that you never would imagine they'd ever do it. Yeah. But you know, you got to adapt to what's happening. Like, I, I want to like Alenia started to go meals. What maybe like. Mm -hmm a week after this happened, two weeks after it happened, and they've really been on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. and great, because they're not, I, I don't think they were charged, like, I have a couple of friends that, all, all our former coworkers, um, having a blast, cooking still, and also they're not charging that much for the to-go meals, which is awesome. No, yeah, a lot of the to-go meals are actually, for a linear standard, it's very, very affordable. Yeah. And then, because I know like, Brooklyn Fair in New York City, their to-go meals were going for like $300. It was their full oh, menu, boy. but in to-go meals. But it's like, yeah, I really don't want to spend $300 on to-go food that I have to eat up myself and everything. It's not going to be, sometimes it's not the same quality that you get. Yeah. But, um, That's very yeah. true. Um, it's going to be hard for restaurants reopening. And uh, getting back, like right now, our restaurant in Merrick, it's doing well. We did a we did 115 last Saturday. Um, we have like four parties. We we do like parties. We have PDR parties. We we're doing a lot. We're getting we're making we're getting back to what it what it kind of used to be pre COVID. Mm -hmm. um, what it, what the restaurant used to be doing. Granted, we're it's owned under a new chef and all that and new style of food, but definitely uh, we're definitely picking back up. But we're still nervous about having to close again. Right, I'm sure as most restaurant owners are. Yeah. Anywhere, it's it's tough right now. So since we're at an hour and a half, we should I'll probably start wrapping things up. I just want to ask you two more questions. First one is, what is your best memory of a terrible service that you had? We've all had like really just the worst services, but there's always been like one little shining moment out of them. So what would that be for you? A few people are going to laugh. Um, so uh, actually... Yeah, pretty much Lenny, because it was it, it was my hardest restaurant. I had I had a huge, um, I had it like it, it took me six months just to uh just to get everything right, and I was on fish on fish, and we were doing a chowder set. So what's great about three Michelin star restaurants is that. People love telling you, oh, I'm allergic to this, I'm allergic to that. Oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. Um, which is fine. Fully accommodating for three Michelin star restaurants. Um, you always go prepared. You're always prepared. Mm -hmm. um, but I, we had a vegan come in. So chowder setup. You have, so they did a kind of like a New England clam chowder in a foam Pretty much, and I had the regular. I had no shellfish. Um, 
and I had no dairy. But I did not have a vegan, no shellfish or no dairy. So when my chef was like, fire vegan chowder, I'm like, vegan chowder, okay, yeah, 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 it's fine. And then the chef's like, do you have it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no dairy, yeah, no shellfish. Yeah. You know, like, no, no dairy, no shellfish. I'm like, no, I don't have that one. I don't got it. <laughs> and pretty much the executive chef and CDC pretty much basically like jump over the past almost, grabbing stuff, making something happen on the fly. And yeah, it was an embarrassing moment. Um, a little bit of screaming, a little bit of yelling, but um, I didn't get offended by it. I took it as constructive criticism, something that never happened again. Always, always have your what is it? Always have all your stuff in the line, your basket, your eggs in a line, or eggs in your basket, or something. Ducks in a row. Ducks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that was a that was a bad day for me. That was a bad day. We've all had those. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, last question. Not really a question. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for home cooks or cooks who are just getting into the industry or wanting to get into the industry? Yeah. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> because I was, I was at that point once in my life. Um, and I love teaching people. So, if you're a home cook, definitely um, let's see. If you're a home cook, definitely take pride in what you do. Um, definitely uh, get some cookbooks, read some cookbooks, learn. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of you get a lot of home cooks that talk a lot of big game to chefs and not uh, and really like a little overzealous and be like oh well you get a lot of home cooks also that try to tell chefs how to cook don't be that guy don't be that person. yeah for sure um, you're a home cook you're not someone who spent half of their life learning preparing for one service. Um, definitely read some cookbooks. Definitely uh, learn the ins and outs of your home kitchen. Mm -hmm. Because uh, home cooking in a home is a lot different than cooking in a professional restaurant. That's very true. I can, I can make a, an awesome dish at the restaurant. If I try cooking at home, it doesn't work out. But... <laughs> Um, but definitely get some cookbooks if you're a home cook. Mm -hmm. For sure. Try recreating dishes from cookbooks. It's a lot of fun, actually. Um, mm -hmm. Most cookbooks are not exact to recipes at the restaurants. Just so you know, like there'll be certain ingredients missing from recipes and cookbooks. Uh, That's true. If you're a young cook. Don't do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, don't, don't do it. Switch, switch positions. 
But, um, <laughs> be patient. Definitely be patient. Don't, um, don't just be like, oh, I haven't moved up in six months. Um, maybe I should leave. Give it, give it some time. If if you just started working there and it's been six months, maybe just be like, hey, maybe like sit down with the chef. Be like, hey, just wondering what's going on. I've worked six months at this station. I'm doing really good at it. Um, just wondering what's going on. Be vocal. Mm-hmm. Like. Let people know your your opinions and everything. Let them know your situation. Uh, a lot of chefs are reasonable. Um, also, definitely take some time for yourself. Don't work a year straight, two years straight without taking vacations. I know a lot of people who do that. They, I know people who, oh, I've worked five years with at this restaurant without taking a vacation. Don't do that. Take your vacation. Unwind. Relax. Because by doing that, when you when you're on vacation, you're gonna you're gonna get a little antsy and you're gonna be like, Oh, I missed the kitchen. And then you're gonna think like this is why I do what I do. And you will basically reassure yourself on you made the right decision, kind of. Um also if you wanna go into culinary school. Or if you want to go straight into a restaurant, um, I went to culinary school. There's nothing bad about not going to culinary school. Um, I would always suggest it because you learn the why we do things. Like, why why are we doing this instead of this? Well, back during the 1900s or 1800s, somebody cooked it this way or where does how is cheese made some people won't are not able to tell you how cheese is made or how butter is made or why in italy there's everybody uses olive oil instead of butter in france butter was pretty kind of like a delicacy very expensive product because only the people who made cheese and everything had access to it because and they were able to make it type of thing so you learn you learn a lot about the why and how of classic and basic cooking um if you are going straight into a restaurant try to start at the top go to a restaurant that will give you the time of day to teach you how to cook teach you um when I was when I was an intern at Eleven Madison Park during college, I was eighteen working in a three Michelin star restaurant. I didn't even I'm halfway through culinary school. That's what CIA does. They throw you halfway through your year into a restaurant. I ended mm-hmm. up picking one of the best restaurants in the world. And they took the five they took an extra like five minutes to show me, teach me how to cook and everything, which was awesome. Um, and they really taught me how to be a great chef. So definitely, if you're going straight into the restaurant industry, find a nice high, go to a high-end restaurant um, and get the exposure of like Michelin star cooking. Uh, a lot of people say start at the top and you'll stay at the top. Some people 
work their way from the bottom up, which is fine, but everybody has the same exact opportunity. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody's at a disadvantage or an advantage. You're all, everybody starts at the same level. It's just, mm-hmm. you go up or, you're gonna, or do you want to start down? If you want to, there's a, I know some people say, oh, well, I started as a dishwasher. That's awesome. You started a dishwasher and you worked your way up. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you don't always have to. You could take a small prep job. You could practice pulling a knife at home and practice cutting stuff. It's the little things like, are you going to take the extra steps to learn? Or are you just going to, oh, well, I could learn how to cut at home, but I'll just do it at work because I'm not going to do work at home. So you need a lot of people to do that. I know my station partner kind of worked himself into the hospital. If uh, anybody who's known, who's who's online knows, because um, he kept taking his prep home, um, doing prep at home. He got no sleep. He work was 100% on his mind every time. And yeah. that's great. That's awesome because he's dedicated. He's and he's a great chef. He cooks I mean, awesome food. So yeah, and it pays off. Yeah. So well, Chef Alex, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about your experiences, showing us a few things. Thank you very much. Um, sorry about the whole quality of film. Um, That's quite bad with computers, bad with lighting. I'm doing this from home. I have no idea how to work a computer. (laughs) I think I think you did fine. It was it was good. So thank you so much again, and thank you everyone for watching and tuning in. Uh, Be sure to check back next week where I'm going to be interviewing some friends of mine from Jacksonville. And everywhere coming to do these interviews, putting out content on YouTube. So be sure to subscribe, like, hit the bell for notifications. And I will see you next time, chefs.